everybody welcome back to exploring the Lord of the rings this is session number 185 um and i've totally lost track of what number we are through the council of elrond um prayer uh but anyway it's we've been doing a council of elrond for a while but we are close now we are six slides from the very end it's 61 today okay there we are 61 our 61st session on the council of elrond uh and we are getting close to the end now um uh, so, uh, thank you for joining me. Uh, before we start, just a quick announcement. Uh, reminder, Mythmoot is coming up. There's a lot of Mythmoot things that are that are happening and that we're talking about. I'm really excited about Mythmoot. So, um, uh, the we should be having the schedule posted soon. That will be uh, that will be coming out soon. Look for more information uh, on Mythmoot before very long. And we're going to. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was the main thing. Looking out for uh, uh, for Mythmoot. Also, um, our summer session at Signum has started up this past week, um, and we're coming up to this weekend is uh, the end of registration. So, if you still wanted to enroll to like audit our Star Trek class or something like that, there's still a little bit of time. But uh, I would urge you to do that. And of course, another thing, a, a much more proximate thing. Okay, not more proximate than the summer semester, which is already happening. But um, the Prancing Pony podcast. My friends over at the Prancing Pony podcast are having their first digital moot this weekend, which is going to be a lot of fun. I'm planning to be there, uh, and I know I'm sure many of you will as well. So I just wanted to, to recommend that um, you can go to the Prancing Pony podcast website uh, and find all the information on that. Uh, it's going to be a pretty cool time, I think. Uh, I've also heard there's going to be a, 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 a dramatic reenactment of the Council of Elrond or something. Um and my only question is, how are they going to do that in less than a year and a half? I don't understand, but it should be cool anyway. Um, so um, anyway, uh, that's going to be that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, <clears throat> so any, anyway, I'm uh, I'm excited about that and hoping to see many of you guys uh, uh, there uh, around this weekend. Um, yeah, Mad Violinist says they'll do it at one X. Right? You mean as opposed to like you know, 0.05 X like we've been doing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, uh, but, um, but cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, let's, um, uh, Oh, yeah, one last thing about Mythmoot. Uh, remember that we're not, even though we're going to be there in person, we're not going to be selling Moot merchandise at the Moot. We're doing all of our Moot merchandise digitally. So if you want a t-shirt or a mask or whatever else, you can get lots of different kinds of apparel options and things like that. If you want any Mythmoot merch to have in time for the Moot, um, you need to order in advance. So the, the merch site is open. There's still plenty of time uh, to order things and have them delivered in time. But um, uh, but you should do that sooner rather than later to make sure that you get it in time for the moot if you want to make sure that it's there. So um, 
Uh, nice. You got some recover escape consolation merch. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's, that's good. I, I, uh, I, I, I personally, I, I was, I was toying with that one, Matt. I almost got that one. Um, but my, uh, my wife got me a cauldron of story apron, uh, for Christmas, which I wear all the time. I cook a lot. So, um, uh, and I had this ratty old apron that I sometimes use when I'm cooking something particularly messy. So I got the cauldron of story one. It's really cool. Um, but anyway, yes, we have the, um, uh, the, the a separate site for the Mythmoot merch. So anyway, um, that's uh, that's 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 where we're headed there. Okay, um, so all right, yes, sorry. Okay, what now? Before we start, uh, there's a comment I wanted to share with you guys. Um, I got an email from a longtime friend of Signum, Peter Ribsky. Um, and he was uh, reflecting on our last couple sessions. And he said, um, As I listened to the discussion from last, week, last week's class about the three elven rings and the things that the elves of Middle-earth have in some measure gained, though with sorrow, um, I had one recurring thought. Boromir kind of had a point. He says, If Boromir had knowledge of the three and how they were being used, he might have interpreted some of Elrond's earlier words like this. Then be comforted, said Elrond, for there are other powers and realms that you know not. When Gilgalad, uh, when Gilgalad's ring passed to me, I made sure to take it home so that my elves could tra-la-la-lolly in peace, beauty, and bliss. And that still continues while you and Faramir hold off the nine and practice swimming in armor. Sure, I could have helped those. I could have helped those in Gondor to keep the forces of Mordor from returning, but that was so Gilgalad, and I saw how that ended. Still, could you imagine if I had made my home in, say, Ithilien instead of Rivendell? Um, I did end up with the most powerful ring. Perhaps I could have used it to transform the dead marshes or the wastes. Galadriel had one too, and she used it to sing beautiful gardens into being in Lothlorien. Maybe she would have had even better luck than me in those places. But no, she wanted to rule an already existing kingdom, and the power of her ring certainly enabled that. I've heard it said that Lothlorien won't fall as long as Galadriel is there with the ring. Unless Sauron himself comes forth. That's probably just marketing. Still, I bet you guys had something like that in Minas Tirith, don't you? Well, at least Gandalf is using his ring. That's probably why we're even here today. He's been roaming all over Middle-earth, trying to inspire all the peoples to stand against the darkness. But man, just think of the ships Kyrdin could have built if he kept the ring to inspire his workforce instead. Now, that's obviously, you know, Peter's joking about, you know, this kind of thing. Uh, uh, you know, and, and sort of being tongue-in-cheek about this. Um, but, um, you know... He's not totally wrong either. Now, you know, I want to kind of back up a second and say the more I do think about it, the more I feel there is like legitimate criticism to be levied against uh, Elrond and Goadriel, especially. Um, uh, it's kind of like the more I think about the Elven Rings, their making, their use, the less I like them. You know, uh, like they just kind of seem like a bad idea from beginning to end. If you, uh, if anybody would like to take up a brief on behalf of the elf rings and their use, I'd be very interested in hearing that. Um, because, uh, again, the more I think about it, the more, well, I was about to say sketchy. That's maybe too harsh. Um, but uh, dubious, um, uh, you know, I kind of uh, find them 
really sort of from beginning to end. But I, but at the same time, I don't want to sound too extreme about that. Um, it's not like they're horrible. It's not like they're evil. Um, and I also want to back up even a step further and say, you know, if someone asked me the question, you know, are you suggesting that Tolkien, you know, was sort of intending us to be resistant to the elf rings, to, to, to um, you know be looking sort of sidelong at Elrond during this whole conversation? No, no, I don't think so. Um, I think that Tolkien, um, yeah, Fort Dauntless, uh, sort of exactly what you were just saying there. Um, the use of the three is fundamentally elvish. The isolated kingdom steeped in bliss and keeping memory of elder times recurs throughout elvish history, sometimes with the explicit blessing or even aid of the Valar. Yes, who's, who themselves started that whole problem in the first place. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. And it's often, not always, but often a problem. Um, a Gondolin is a classic example, right? Gondolin is the, you know, one of the most, um, you know, iconic, right? One of the most mythic, one of the most perfectly elvish things, right, in the history of Middle-earth. And yet, um, and it's not a bad thing. Like, this, Gondolin's not horrible. Gondolin isn't evil. It's not like, oh, Gondolin is, it's, it's bad for it to have been, right? And yet, um, we can see, you know, Targon failed, Right. And and his love for Gondolin is what caused him to fail. There's always um, uh, um, uh, there's 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 always, you know, sort of challenges with that problems with that. Um, I don't think that Tolkien was unaware of those things. I mean, I think that he is. You know, again, and we, we can see it. We can see it from the question of, you know, were the Valar even right to do the Valinor thing? Right. And to do the the invite the elves over to Valinor in particular thing. Right. Um, he invites at various points uh, questions about that. Right. You know, that's 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 still an open question in his legendarium. And he suggests even, um, uh, of course, in some places he suggests it's not a mistake, but in others he suggests very clearly that it is. He clearly was kind of himself sort of going back and forth on that, or at least on how he'd present that question uh, in the legendarium. Um uh, exactly, JJ. I'm always trying to be careful uh, not to lie with the tongue of, of Melkor. I, it's, I'm kind of sensitive about that. Um, but anyway, um, but yes, this impulse, it is a fundamentally elvish impulse. And it's, it's, it isn't wrong. I mean, Michael, as you were just saying um, uh, just a little bit ago, there you are. Um, if you know you can never leave... Uh, Middle-earth, why wouldn't you try to preserve it as best you can? Well, you know you can never leave Arda anyway. Um, so yes, I, I, and and that does mean, I don't want to simply be urging everybody to kind of judge the elves from the human perspective, right? Like, you've got to be out there, you've got to accomplish something, you've got to be, you know, and that's not the elves. Their relationship with the world is fundamentally different, And but but again, anyway, I, I think there's also a very clear argument to be made that that preservationist impulse is swimming against the tide. Um, this is not how the world is going. Um, and I think it is no mistake that when Galadriel passes the test, right, when Galadriel does good, what doing good looks like is submitting to diminishment. Um, I think that that resistance... You know, that attempt to preserve, not just preserve Middle-earth, but to preserve 
like the good old elvish days of Middle Earth, right? Um, to keep them there, not just to remember them, but to, to cling to them, uh, to create these little hyper elf pockets, right? I don't think it's a good impulse. I really don't. Um, I don't. I don't think it's a hideous impulse. I don't think it's horrible. Um, but uh, I think that it's. Uh, I, I do think it's problematic uh, all the way down. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Sorry. Looking through so many comments. Um, yeah. Good. Ray is of course thinking um, uh, of the curse of Mandos quoting from uh, uh, the, the, the curse of the Noldor or the curse of the North or the prophecy of the North. Those that endure in middle earth and come not to Mandos shall grow weary of the world as with a great burden and shall wane and become as shadows of regret before the younger race that cometh after. Um, and Rena Ray, it's really interesting to think about the application of that in these kinds of circumstances that we're discussing, you know, become as shadows of regret. So wait, does that mean that's like their punishment, right? In a sense, like that's what will happen. Um, you know, is he sort of dooming them to become as shadows of regret? Or is this sort of a prophecy that like, should you remain in Middle-earth? Should you kind of continue to cling to things? You shall become as shadows of regret. Um, is, that, is, is that avoidable? Is it just you are destined no matter what happens? Like... Shadows of regret, that's your destiny, right? Or is he foretelling, is, is that a sort of one possible outcome, right? Um, and uh, and, and if, if it's one possible outcome, how could that be avoided? And I can't help but think that the answer to that, the answer to how do you become, how do you avoid as an elf in Middle-earth who hasn't gone to the Halls of Mandos, um, how do you avoid becoming as a shadow of regret before the younger race that cometh after? And I can't help but think the answer is not stop the flow of time <laughs> and prevent the elder days from passing away uh, by, you know, the strength uh, of uh, your, you know, native power uh, and your, uh, you know, ring craft. I, I don't think that's the right answer. I really don't. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, now, Drowsnake is saying, could they instead have made, instead, instead of making these little pockets of elvendom, uh, right, could they instead have made the entirety of Middle-earth 1% more elvish? Yeah, well, Drowsnake, that's ultimately my uh, Tongue of Melkor argument. Like, that is, that's what I think that the Legendarium as a whole suggests that could have happened had the Valar not done the thing that they did. Had they not invited the Eldar to come live with them, had they not started the whole hoarding of bliss thing, right, trend, um, by inviting the elves to Valinor in the first place, because um, the, I mean, Eluvatar, I think, put them in Middle-earth on purpose. He could have had them awaken in Valinor, if that's where he wanted them, um, but it isn't where they were awakened. Um, and, you know, mightn't it have been better for them to remain in Middle-earth, blessing Middle-earth and working in Middle-earth, um, as perhaps, it kind of seems, maybe, they were meant to do? Um, so, 
uh, that's always, anyway, been my feeling about that. And so, Drow Snake, I can't help but <clears throat> apply that same kind of thinking to the Rings of Power as well. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Justin uh, Beeman says the desire to shelter in isolated kingdoms serves Sauron's interests in some ways. Yeah. Now, here's one thing. I, I want to be a little cautious about this, though. When Elrond says, you know, when Boromir gives his speech about, like, it would comfort us to know that other people are actually doing something and not just sitting around and sheltering behind us and having tea, eh, paraphrase, um, then, you know, and Elrond says, then be comforted, right? Um, I don't think Elrond's just blowing smoke, right? Um, and again, that's, it's one of the reasons that I want to be careful not to go too far um, in the kind of satirical direction. And again, I totally, I, I loved Peter's um, uh, commentary there. Um, but um, but I, I want to resist going too far in that direction. In part, I want to resist it because I'm tempted to do it, right? But I want to resist it. And this is one of the main reasons why. I think that when, I do not believe that when Elrond says, then be comforted, he doesn't mean it. He said, you know, Boromir says it would comfort us to know that others were resisting the enemy with every power that they had. And Elrond says, then be comforted. We are right. And I don't think he's just blowing smoke. I don't think that, you know, he's speaking merely from a, a position of guilt being like, well, I've been kind of keeping, you know, using the power of my ring to bless myself and my people. And I, you know, not been actually doing a lick in the struggle with Sauron. <clears throat> I think that they are doing something. I don't know what exactly, but there's a lot that we don't know about the Elvish rings and how they work and, and what's going on with, uh, with Galadriel. Galadriel is going to suggest that she is in a kind of conflict with Sauron and that she is resisting him. Right. Um, and I think that there may be more to that and that kind of thing than might perhaps appear on the surface. So anyway, I do think that there's, we should be, careful again not to be too um not to be too um you know salty about this but um um yeah frumius bujum says how would it be different if the valar themselves didn't retreat into an isolated kingdom uh, yeah i i hear you I, I i totally hear you um now again like it's a little uh it's complicated by their reaction to the Melkor situation, but it's challenging. I mean, there are, I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, but, um, Silmarillion film project has been really a fascinating project that we've been doing now for like six, seven years. When we did season one of the Silm film project, which was basically from the Aina Lindelay to the chaining of Melkor. So it was all Valar basically the whole, the whole time. One of the things that we're doing in kind of planning through our theoretical adaptation of the Silmarillion in very great detail is there are lots of, you find when you approach the text from that perspective and you think about how, you know, what has to happen, you know, what would have to happen in an adaptation and how you would do an adaptation. One of the things that happens all the time is that you find yourself confronted with interpretive questions that you never really make when you're just sort of more passively reading the text, when you're not engaging with it sort of creatively in that way. And for me, what, it was, that was one of the biggest issues in season one. Um, the decision 
to retreat to Valinar after the burning of the lamps. So we had like the, or the burning of the lamps, like the destruction of the lamps. We had the destruction of the lamps happening um, early, early in the season. Um, well, not not early. It was like halfway through the season, but was, so we had a whole half season after the after the the, the destruction of the lamps. Um, so the middle point in the season was the big decision, right? The Valar's big decision to go to Valinor. And so, you know, it forced me to like defend that, right? To really kind of think like, what kind of rationale do we present? Why did the Valar do that? How can we make that seem like not only the logical choice, but the admirable choice, right? We don't want to lose, you know, we, if, if we're doing a theoretical adaptation, right, we don't want our, our theoretical viewers to lose faith in the Valar, right? To lose um, confidence in the Valar. Um, it was challenging. It's, 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 it's very challenging. Um, and we had to bring in some rationales which aren't spelled out in the text. Now, that's a, there's a lot of scope for that because we're not given much of the Valar, uh, you know, of the, um, uh, the, the motivations of the Valar. But anyway, it's a really interesting, it's a really interesting question. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, uh, Bjorning in Exile, I think that that's a really good way of thinking about it. Um, Bjorning in Exile says, I want to say again that I think Tolkien is inviting us to be skeptical of everybody at the council. If Boromir seems uncouth and proud, he's not wrong and has borne the brunt of Sauron's assault his whole life. If the elves seem supernatural, they are explicitly criticized for isolating and fleeing this mess that they made. Um, yes, I agree. I don't think that anybody really kind of get, gets off sort of free. You know, we, we, we are invited to kind of think that through. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, except Sam, right, absolutely, yeah, you're right, except for Sam, um, uh, and Farmer Maggot, <laughs> of course, <laughs> exactly, exactly, yeah, very true, very true, um, anyway, okay, well, let's get back into things, because we have some more, uh, uh, we come to my favorite, tonight we come to my favorite moment in the council when it comes to argumentation and logic, right? The plan, right? Now, we've already been told the plan, right? Elrond's already laid it on the table, right? Um, we must send the ring to the fire. Aristor, trying to bring things back in, right? Thus we return once more to the destroying of the ring, said Aristor. Um, uh, subtext Let's stop talking about the three rings right now, right? I think we're all done with this conversation. Let's get back to our main point. Once again, Aristor, I'm telling you, Aristor really showing his value as a counselor here. Like he is, uh, um, you know, Elrond's, um, Elrond's straight up guy. Um, uh, all the way. Th I mean, if, if, uh, he should totally get a raise if he gets paid. Um, but um, not only is he <laughs> extricating things from the awkward place that they had gotten, um, but let's bring things back to focus, right? Our choice here is what to do with the Ring of Power. And Elrond here has already said we must send the Ring to the fire. Can, can we get back to that point now? We return once more to this destroying of the Ring, and yet we come no nearer 
What strength have we for the finding of the fire in which it was made? That is the path of despair, of folly, I would say, if the long wisdom of Elrond did not forbid me. Um, and by the way, I even that last sentence, right, uh, where Aristor is the one to, uh, you know, daringly open his mouth and say that, like, Elrond's plan sounds like foolishness. It sounds like folly. Um, it is the opposite of wisdom, Elrond's plan, right? Um, that's, at least, that's what it sounds like. It is the path of despair, of folly, I would say, if the long wisdom of Elrond did not for, forbid me. Um, and uh, again, I would say that Aristor is here. Do I think that Aristor is like, you know, rising up against Elrond here? I, I absolutely do not. I, I again think that he's being um, Elrond's very solid second here. Um, I think that he is... Aristor is acknowledging something that everybody around the table's got to be thinking, right? Especially when you lay it out like he just did, right? Elrond has just said, here's what we have to do, right? Um, we must send the ring to the fire, to Mordor. We must send the ring to the fire. Um, and Aristor says, okay, let's return to this. And as we return to it, I'm sure everyone is going to be thinking, so I'm just going to say out loud, exactly, he's pre-butting the counter-argument, Gilgonthir, um, to stop anybody else in the room from thinking, this is the dumbest plan I've ever heard, right? And maybe even especially, um, uh, you know, Boromir from thinking, like, this is the greatest, you know, the wisdom of the greatest lore master in Middle-earth that I was told about. Seriously? I came a journey of 110 days uh, to be told that I should just walk into Mordor, right? Um, and... Um, so he says, you know, a folly, I would say, if the long wisdom of Elrond did not forbid me. I think it's important for him to um, put that out on the table, right? Um, to, to say that explicitly, because you've got to know that others are thinking it, and not just Boromir, right? Um, uh, while complimenting Elrond, right, his long wisdom... Right. You know, no, nobody's going to no, Certainly nobody's going to want to say it. But I mean, let's face this. Right. This does not seem like a smart plan. What strength have we for the finding of the fire in which it was made? Now, I think um, I'm trying to figure out what. Aristor means by that question exactly. What strength have we for the finding of the fire in which it was made? When he asks that, is he imagining an invasion? Is that what he's picturing there? When he says the finding of the fire, does he mean to find the fire the way that Gilgalad and Elendil and Círdan found the fire the last time? Right? I mean, it took the army of the last alliance a lot of time and blood to get to the cracks of doom which is where they got in the end right and that's where they fought sauron in the end is that the plan yeah that's just what burning in exile was thinking um i i 
I think so. Yeah, uh, Gogo Lady was saying finding rather than reaching. Don't they know its geographical location? Yes, they do, which is why I do not believe that he means finding in that sense. Um, um, no, to f- finding in the sense of um, um, to 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 go there. You know, like to find yourself there. Right? It's not to like search for. Um, uh, they, 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 they know where the cracks of doom are. They've not moved. Um, uh, so that, that's not what he means. Um, but again, I think, you know, he says, how do we, how do we, how do we see them? Right. How do we, uh, how do we discover them? Um, good. Uh, Arden Crayon is pointing to, uh, um, like, I hope this letter finds you in good health. Yes. They want to find the cracks of doom in the same way that the letter has found you when you receive a letter. Yeah, a- absolutely. That's exactly much closer to the usage. Um, I've got to think that Aristor says, what, when he says, what strength have we, I assume that by the word, so I, I assume that finding, that's what he means by finding, like by, you know, to, uh, to find ourselves in that place, right? To introduce ourselves, reintroduce ourselves to the cracks of doom. Um, not like in the sense in which Gollum is going to introduce himself to the cracks of doom, but um, anyway, um, uh, but the word strength, I think he means military strength. Yeah, good. Thank you. Fromius Bujum was looking it up in the OED. Um, it's uh, 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 definition 1.3 of find to succeed in obtaining something. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, <laughs> right. And Aranas, I agree. Gollum does not find the cracks of doom in such good health. Uh, at least he is not in such good health for very long. Um, but anyway, okay, exactly. Um Yes. Strength. I assume by strength, he means military strength, right? When he's saying, what strength have we for the finding of the fire in which he's like, what, you know, what armies can we raise? How could we possibly pull off the invasion? Um, he's suggesting, he's sort of recalling here, right? Um, look, really last alliance, you know, last alliance 2.0. Didn't we already say that that was kind of off the table? That that can't happen, right? Um, I thought we had sort of agreed on that, right? So, uh, once again, Aristotle doing what he does, right? He's not suggesting anything so much as clarifying the argument. Remember, he stepped into the whole Galdor, you know, uncomfortableness before, and now he's stepping into the Boromir uncomfortableness uh, this time um, and saying... Um, all right. All right. On the one hand, you've said we have to destroy the ring. On the other hand, we know we don't have the military strength to get to the fire, right? That is the path of despair. The idea of, like, marching with an army to Mordor to get to, to, to find, to achieve the cracks of doom and chuck the ring in. That is the path of despair. That could never work. We know that could never work. It barely worked last time, 3,000 years ago, and it's certainly not going to work now. It's the path of despair, of folly, I would say. So he doesn't have to say that. 
right? But what he's what he does is he points out, and and here again, I think he's doing as he was before. I think this is like a setup for Elrond's spike. Gandalf takes it and spikes it instead of Elrond. But uh, I think that again, Aristor is such a good uh, first mate here. Um, uh, a folly, I would say, if the long wisdom of Elrond did not forbid me. Right again, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that to anticipate that objection. Does Aristor? Is Aristor really wholly at his wit's end, right? Does he have no idea? No, I think he has substantial faith in the long wisdom of Elrond, right? I think that he feels confident that Elrond does at least, you know, feel that he sees a way through this, right? But he is inviting Elrond to elaborate, right? Let's be clear to start with on the fact that your plan... Elrond, on the surface, is a, a horrible plan, right? In fact, an entirely unworkable plan. Can everybody agree that's an entirely unworkable plan? Great. Okay. Having established that Elrond's suggested plan is entirely unworkable, let's now also, though, remember Elrond's long wisdom and say there must be an explanation to why his plan sounds like such a bad plan, right? So, uh, so what is it? Um, and, uh, and I agree when he says that's the path of despair. Uh, I agree with, uh, all of you guys who are, um, um, paraphrasing him to basically say there is no, there is no umdir in this, on this path. Um, no hope in that sense. There's no reason to believe that things are going to turn out well if we execute that plan, right? Um, uh, yeah, okay. Um, yes. Um, Right. Bjorning uh, says, so the phrase of folly, I would say, if the long wisdom of Elrond did not forbid me, is actually empathy with the straw man counterargument, not a gentle statement of disagreement. I think it's both. I mean, notice he goes out of his way to remind everyone of the long wisdom of Elrond. Right. Now, don't be hasty, anybody. Just because Mr. You know, Sir Elrond over here, like Lord Elrond, uh, you know, my boss, just uh, articulated a plan, which is obviously on its surface, a very bad plan. Let's, uh, let's remember that there might be more to it than, than, than appears. Right. Um, but, um, uh, but, but, but yeah, yeah. I think that, um, uh, so do I think he's still kind of setting up Elrond? Yeah. Yeah, I do still think he's setting up Elrond. Do I think he does not see the way? Yeah, I do. Um, I suspect he may be quite genuinely, I don't think he's faking it. You know, I don't think he's playing dumb when he's assuming, when he says, what strength have we for the finding of the fire in which it was made? Like he's, I think he's legitimately saying, I don't understand. I, I, I don't see the plan because we can't do the army thing. So how can we collectively go, the good guys, go to Mordor and get the ring there? Gandalf's response. Despair or folly? said Gandalf. It is not despair, 
For despair is only for those who see the end beyond all doubt. We do not. Let's pause there for a second. This is a famous moment, right? Famous line by Gandalf. Despair is only for those who see the end beyond all doubt. We do not. Isn't that interesting? Several of you guys were just saying... The point is you've got to go with Estelle instead of Amdir, right? You've got to give up on Amdir, on, on optimism that it's going to work out, right? And we'll get there. I do think they're going to be headed in that direction, of course. But that's not Gandalf's first response. Gandalf's first response is, he says, uh, no, hang on. Um, despair is only for those who see the end beyond all doubt, that's when you, you... You can still have Amdir. We don't know that things are not going to turn out well. We don't know that. Maybe we don't have much positive reason to believe that they will turn out well, but we don't know beyond all doubt that they will turn out badly. So yes, Bjorning, despair is an act of pride. I do think despair is more of an act of pride. Um... Captain Mo, exactly. Uh, Denethor, yes. Denethor is the example. Um, pride and despair are um, uh, paired, right, in Gandalf's assessment of uh, Denethor, right? Um, it is pride to believe that you see the ends, that you know for sure, what's going to happen. Especially given that there have been many, many examples of things that look... I mean, it's like... Haven't you ever heard of a catastrophe? You know? Sometimes the end looks pretty certain. And yet, a catastrophe occurs. Right? You don't know but what the eagles might still come. Not to bring the ring to Mordor, but... Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, um, so yes, I do agree with you, Bjorning, that it is pride, um, that despair is a symptom of pride because until the end comes, like absolutely comes, how many times in Tolkien's works do characters come to what looks like it really is the end? the absolute end, and yet it isn't, right? You know, Frodo and Sam lying down to die on the slopes of Mount Doom, right? Actually keeling over, right? <laughs> and losing consciousness. And then they wake up in the field of Cormallon, right? Um, these kinds of things... These kinds of things happen. Um, no, the catastrophe might not save you. Um, uh, and it's not to say that you can always bank on the catastrophe. Right, catastrophe is like by definition something you can't necessarily bank on. But the point is, you don't see the end beyond all doubt. When you're looking ahead and saying, "I know how that's going to turn out, and it's gonna suck," right? And therefore, what's the point of anything? Set me on fire. That's pride. That is pride, because um, you don't know the end beyond all doubt. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, 
so yeah, exactly. It's not to say that you can always count on the catastrophe to come. It's just that you can't say in advance, you can't ever say in advance that you know for sure what's going to happen. That you know for sure what's going to happen. Um, yes, Mike, I agree. Mike says, the thing that gets missed a little bit is that the Omdir sort of hope isn't bad. It's what you do when Omdir dries up that matters. Despair or Estelle. Yes, exactly. Omdir is a great thing. It's, a, it's, it's an important thing. Estelle is a higher thing. That is a higher form of hope. It's a, it's, it's a more important form of hope. But yeah, it's not like um, there's nothing wrong with Omdir. Omdir is really good. Omdir is really important. And Gandalf, again, Gandalf's first response is, hang on now. Don't give up on Omdir. Right? There's no path of despair here. Right? Um, yeah, on paper, does it seem impossible? Sure. Absolutely it does. Right? Does that mean it is impossible? No. Because what we have on paper is in everything. We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. And we need to have the implication, we need to have the humility to submit to what actually happens. Remember how they got here. Remember the whole, here we are and here is the ring, right? The way in which we were talking before, in which, like, Providence has, darned if Providence hasn't brought about this whole situation, right? Um, here, Sauron's ring has just been landed among us in ways that we could never have possibly anticipated, right? So why should we, when trying to figure out what to do with it from here, think now we know how things are going to go? We could never have predicted that it would have come to this and how it came to this in the first place. How should we know how to predict where things are going to go from here? Right. And how the rest of this story is going to go. We don't know how the rest of the story is going to come out. We can't know how the rest of the story is going to come out. Um, <clears throat> there is a sense in which all acts of faith are blind faith. Because faith, by definition, can only happen to when you cannot see the result. Right When you don't know what is going to happen and you simply act um, out of hope in faith, not knowing what's going to happen. Because if you knew it wouldn't be faith in the first place, right? there's always an element of blindness there. Anyway, let's keep going. We do not, he insists, we do not see the end beyond all doubt. So it's interesting, it's, I find it that's, this is the first rule that Gandalf lays down, right? And I think this is super important. Everything else that we talk about in this council, guys, is we're trying to figure out what to do, keep one thing in mind. Do not conclude that anything is necessarily impossible, right? We, we don't know how things will turn out. So, we don't know the end beyond all doubt. It is wisdom to recognize necessity when all other courses have been weighed, though as folly it may appear to those who cling to false hope. It is wisdom to recognize necessity when all other courses have been weighed, though as folly it may appear to those who cling to false hope. Once again, is Gandalf's response 
um, mystical. Let us step forth in faith. Since providence, providence has brought us to this point, that's not his argument. His argument is quite practical. We must recognize necessity when all other courses have been weighed. Let us proceed logically. We've weighed all of the possible courses, right? To, 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 to hold the ring, right? To hide it, to keep it from Sauron by force. We, we've considered that. To ditch it, to put it forever beyond his reach, either because we're holding it or because we've chucked it in the sea or something like that, right? Or sent it to Valinor. We've considered all those things. Or to destroy it. Any other options? Anything else on the table? No? Okay. Um, we can't send it to Valinor. It's no solution of the problem at all to uh, um, to throw it in the sea, right? They've already been over that. It doesn't solve the problem. It doesn't solve the problem, right? What solution do we have? We've been given this opportunity, and we can't, of course, use it against him, right? We've considered that option, too. We can't use it. We can't hide it. We can't lose it. No choice, right? It reminds me of um, Bilbo's words in the beginning of chapter 5 when he's lost in the dark, right? Um, go back, impossible, right? Go sideways, can't. Go forward, only thing to do, right? That's kind of the similar sort of logic that Gandalf seems to be applying here, right? Exactly, Bjorning. It's the only way to win is to destroy the ring, Right? The only chance they have, not only of winning in the sense of, like, surviving and overcoming in this moment, but defeating Sauron long-term, is to destroy the ring. In fact, they've been given the unique opportunity to do that, right? Not just to make it through this particular war, right? But to win um, uh, to win for good and all, to put an end uh, to this menace, um, as Gandalf has said. Um, so yeah, yeah, we should do that. We should, it, it, it's, it's the only logical thing to do. We should seek to destroy the ring. Now, false hope, though as folly it may appear to those who cling to false hope. What's he talking about there? Who's clinging to false hope? What are the false hopes that people might cling to? Right? What are the false hopes? Using the ring, military victory, the strength of Gondor? Yes. Yes. That, that an army is the way to defeat Sauron? Yes. Um, the false hope that we can win the war in any way, with the ring or without the ring, right? Yes. Um, they are going to be accused of folly, right? Denethor is going to accuse Gandalf of folly. Um, when he discovers what has happened, right? What Gandalf has done and the decision that he and Faramir have made, right? Um, Denethor is going to accuse them exactly of folly because he clings to false hope. And Denethor is going to make that really clear. You'll remember, remembering ahead, um, that Denethor is going to say, if we had this thing now here in Minas Tirith, I, I would not now, you know, tremble. Within the, they wouldn't be so afraid if they had the ring of power, right? False hope. 
false hope. And therefore, the, the decision to make what, at the very least, right, the conservative reading of the send the ring to Mordor plan has to be that it is phenomenally risky, right? Like, at the very least, you have to say, this is a high-risk plan, right? The odds of success on paper, really bad. Really, really bad, right? And yet, so it's going to look like, if you cling to false hope, if you think there's an obvious other alternative... The ring can be used against Sauron. The ring can be concealed from Sauron indefinitely. We can win the war anyway, so it doesn't matter. Um, any of those false hopes will make it look like folly because you're just jeopardizing. And not just jeopardizing, right? You're running like a, like a what? A 95, 95, 99% chance of disaster, right? On the, on the, like, you're 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 putting all the you know all the savings of the entirety of middle earth on that one number right um when you could have played it safe you know kept the ring used it against sauron um focused all of our resources on fighting the war whatever it is right um yeah those would be the false hopes that make it appear as folly so again gandalf's um Gandalf's statements have not been without their sort of philosophical and theological implications, but his response has been entirely practical. Despair is only for those who see the end beyond all doubt. We do not. There's no reason to give up hope. Amdir, right? Um, it is wisdom to recognize necessity. It's not folly. It's despair is inappropriate, and it is not folly. Um, it's wisdom to recognize necessity. If that 1% chance really is the only possible chance of victory, then it's wisdom to recognize the necessity of gambling on that 1% because everything else is a 100% chance of eventual failure. Everything else. Um, exactly. It's time for a Hail Elbereth. That's exactly it. Um, uh, Exactly. If there is a chance, it's foolish not to take it. Bjornis honor. Exactly. Exactly. Um, uh, yes. Yes. Um, Bjorning, I, I agree with you that um, the um, talking about the odds, you know, Gandalf doesn't talk about the odds, right? And um, and I agree with you that I think it's a corollary to the. Uh, we do not see the end beyond all doubt. A corollary to that would be the odds are not necessarily what you think they are, right? If you believe, um, if you believe that the odds before the race or, you know, before the season begins um, are exactly an accurate prediction of the future, that's also pride, right? That's also not Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Um, well, let folly be our cloak, a veil before the eyes of the enemy, for he is very wise and weighs all things to a nicety in the scales of his malice. But the only measure that he knows is desire, desire for power, and so he judges all hearts. 
into his heart the thought will not enter, that any will refuse it, that having the ring we may seek to destroy it. If we seek this, we shall put him out of reckoning. Let folly be our cloak, a veil before the eyes of the enemy. Okay, it seems... In what sense will folly be a veil before the eyes of the enemy? Because he is very wise. Because he... Uh, uh, number one, to cling to false hope, if he were in our shoes, would be Sauron. Right? Um, that's how he would think, absolutely. If Sauron were here in this council, right? Uh, you know, if, uh, if, if one of us here had, like, the wisdom and perspective but not the evil intent of Sauron, um, Sauron would totally be saying, yeah, um, take the ring, use the ring, establish, you know, make, bring about the result that you want to see, right? That would be, that would be, you know, make it, make it so, right? That would be, that would be Sauron's intent. Um, um, yeah, GDC says he'll never expect us to do something this stupid. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Exactly, exactly. Um, because Sauron is very wise, right? He is going to know wherein is wherein exactly is Sauron's calculation as he weighs all things to a nicety in the scales of his malice. Why is it that Sauron is going to come to a different sum at the end of the calculation than they are and not guess what they're doing? And the answer is all about Elrond's speech about not using the ring why it's not worth it. Why should they use the ring to overcome their enemy? And, and this is, as I said at the time, the argument given in the movie always struck me as not only a cop-out, but, um, well, mostly a cop-out, but just kind of pitiful, right? We can't use it. It just won't work for us, right? No, it's so much more interesting than that. It absolutely would work for them. And in fact they stand a really good chance of winning the war. Really good chance of winning the war. Um, it is because the use of the ring is such a good idea that they must not do it. Because the cost would be too high. And that's where their calculus is different from Sauron's, right? Because the only measure that he knows is desire. The desire for power. The only measure that he knows, right? How does he do his decision-making? Does Sauron's decision-making is entirely utilitarian? What is most likely to bring about my own power? How am I best calculated to achieve my will? That is the fundamental question with which Sauron approaches things, and it's the only measure that he knows. And so he judges all hearts. Gandalf is banking on the fact that Sauron is going to say, if I were there, I use it a hundred times out of a hundred. Right? They're going to be asking right now, 
how do we achieve our will? And our will is to overthrow our enemy and preserve our peoples, right? That's what they're going to be thinking in their little council there in Rivendell right now. And, um, yeah. And he's probably heard about it by now because it's been like a year and a half since the council started. So Sauron... Oh, oh, no, wait, I forgot. It didn't actually take that long. Um, But anyway, um, still, he's going to be saying, in theory, right, um, they absolutely... This is this exactly, JJ. He's looking at what the best way to win is, right? The best way to win. And winning equals achieving your desire, right? Achieving your goals. That's what winning looks like. That's the definition of winning. Obviously, that's the definition of winning. So what's the point of wisdom? The point of wisdom is to be able to calculate with most accuracy and reliability how to achieve that end. And you don't have to be that good at sums in order to to come to the right answer of this question. The best way, their only real chance is to use the ring against Sauron. And he's not wrong. That's completely correct. Their only hope of winning the War of the Ring is to use the ring against Sauron. It will not. There's no way they can win this war otherwise. Um, They don't even know all of his military strength yet, and yet they can see that. Um, Even Boromir knows that eventually Gondor is going to be overthrown. They can stand for a while, but eventually. Um, They can delay the march of the enemy up the coast, but, you know, not forever. Um, Aristor knows that they they do not have the strength for the finding of the fire in which it was made. We can't invade Mordor again. That's a complete non-starter. We know we can't win this war. We could use the ring. It would be, by far, the best way to do it. Um, Yes, they're saying that losing is preferable to winning in the wrong way, JJ, and that's exactly why they will throw Sauron out of reckoning. Because that does not compute. That does not compute. What possible motivation could they have to do that? Could they have to say, okay, we could win if we do this, so let's not do it, right? Why? Because it's altogether evil. Because it corrupts the heart. All those things that Elrond was saying. Sauron doesn't care, right? He doesn't care. Um, uh yeah, yeah, and Nancy, you're right. Um, the good guys want to win forever, not just against this Dark Lord, but against all future Dark Lords. Yes, yes, exactly. And Sauron does not <laughs> see the problem, right? Exactly. Um, agreed, Bjarna Sona, that's exactly the direction that I was working towards. To Sauron, the idea that the ends might not justify the means is just utterly unthinkable. Absolutely. The whole point is to achieve your ends. That's the, 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 the only question of means is which means are going to be most effective in bringing about your ends. Obviously, right? I mean, who else would think otherwise? What is the point of handicapping yourself in saying, oh, well, we're not going to win that way, right? We're going to win only this way or we won't win. Well, guess what? Then you probably won't win. Right? I mean, come on now. That is foolish. That is folly to think that way. To turn your back on the possibility of victory. He judges all hearts. 
by the measure that he knows, and that is desire, desire for power. He is going... So Gandalf is saying there is no way he's going to even entertain this idea. He will not be able to imagine that we could turn down the ring, that we could refuse the ring. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and, and for Thoughtless, I agree. Um, Sauron's problem is that he doesn't realize the good guys want to defeat Sauron and set no one in his place. Exactly. I know you're thinking of Gandalf's speech later with the captains uh, uh, at Minas Tirith. And yes, yes, I agree. Um, but again, that's just another way of saying a similar kind of thing, right? Again, like, what does winning look like? <laughs> winning looks like beating your enemy, right? And having the power. Somebody is going to end up with power. It's going to be me or it's going to be one of you. Right? The only question is who is going to end up being the one in power. Right? Somebody here is going to end up standing on somebody else's neck. Right? Whose foot is going to be on whose neck at the end of the day. Right? That's the only relevant question to Sauron. Because he assumes that that's the the only measure that he knows, right, is the desire for power. And so he judges all hearts, right? So that's what Gandalf, I think, is getting at later on, will be getting at later on when he talks about setting no one in his place, right? He cannot imagine a, a perspective that isn't thinking that way, that wants to, that does not want to rule. Um, so we'll put him out of reckoning. If we think this way. So, okay, so Gandalf, it's, it's not despair and it's not folly. It's wisdom. Wisdom to recognize necessity. Yes, it might seem like a, a, a desperate chance, but it is the only chance. And therefore, howsoever desperate it may be, it's wise to go there. And what's more, Sauron will not see this coming. This will be our cloak, a veil before the eyes of the enemy. At least for a while, said Elrond. The road must be trod, but it will be very hard, and neither strength nor wisdom will carry us far upon it. This quest may be attempted by the weak, with as much hope as the strong. Yet such is oft the course of deeds that move the wheels of the world. Small hands do them because they must, while the eyes of the great are elsewhere." Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> Mad Violinist says, subtle Elrond. Um, yes, this does seem like a veiled hint. Uh, is he nominating somebody right now? Right? Is that, that sounded like a nomination to me. Right? Uh, that's what I'm thinking. Um, uh, Yeah. Yeah, it, it is kind of a recruiting speech, right? And obviously, somebody else hears a nomination in this, right? Exactly. Kurtzema says, Bilbo knows a hint when he hears one, and that's where we're going to be going next in the next slide. But, but hang on a second. Before we get there. Before we get there. Um, yeah, exactly. I think Torah Martin, when he says, this quest may be attempted by the weak, with as much hope as the strong. By the weak, he means those who have not yet had lunch and are really looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, exactly. But hang on, hang on, hang on. I, I, want, I want to back up on that. I want to back up to a sentence that always, when I think about it, kind of blows my mind a little bit. The road must be trod, but it will be very hard. Okay, okay. The road must be trod. So here he's affirming Gandalf's statement about necessity, right? Um, it's wisdom to recognize necessity when all other courses have been weighed, right? The road must be trod. Yeah, like this is our only option. Is it, did you guys think this was going to be a vote? Right, I'm sorry. Did, was, what, did, be, <laughs> did somebody want to make a counter suggestion? No, we, the, the, we must destroy the ring, right? The, um, we must send the ring to the fire. Um, uh, that's pretty well decided now, right? Um, it's the only, the road must be trod. But it will be very hard. So, okay. So now, stop, full stop right there. The road must be trod, but it will be very hard. If you'd never read this before, what would you guess the next sentence would be? The road must be trod, but it will be very hard. Therefore, let us rally all of the resources that we have. No, we do not have the strength for the finding of the fire in which it was made, right? No, we cannot force our way into Mordor. We cannot, um, you know, attack Mordor and defeat Sauron's armies. No, we can't do that. But, but this is going to be a hard road, right? So let us find every resource we can possibly find, right, to apply to this situation, right? I mean, like, that's, right, so we need to send a hardy crew, exactly, right? That's a, enable all buffs and reinforcements, <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's, that's, uh, uh, um, that's exactly what, like, what that sounds like, right? Um, it sounds like the setup for the Dirty Dozen, right? Exactly, exactly. Um, uh, yes, that this is exactly what it sounds like, right? And, and yet his next sentence, in fact, is, and neither strength nor wisdom will carry us far upon it. Why not? I, I mean, would strength and wisdom be a drawback, actually? Like, would it do any harm to have a little bit of the strength and the wisdom along? <laughs> right. Right, Burton says, weak and stupid? I'm in! <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It's, it's, uh, but I mean, this is, this is, this is, yeah, I, Mike, this is a big assertion. I always find, whenever I pause on this sentence, I find it a mind-blowing sentence. Neither strength nor wisdom will carry us far upon it. But wait, hang on, Elrond, how do you figure? I mean, I can track with the it's wisdom to recognize necessity thing, right? Okay, right, I, I get that it looks like folly. But it only looks like folly if you're clinging to false hope. If it really is the only way, then, like, if it's the best chance that we have, it doesn't matter how small the chance is, it's still the best chance. Okay, fine, right, I get that. Wisdom, fine, it's wisdom. Except now, wait, having decided to take the course which has as small a chance of succeeding as any course that we can think of, right? Um, now the plan is to handicap ourselves as much as possible, right? Since the odds of success are so low, not only needn't we try to increase those odds, but we shouldn't try to increase those odds. Um, really? <laughs> really? Now, uh... I I don't think 
Um, <laughs> I don't think that he means it exactly along these lines, right? Um, I mean, we will see, in fact, that both strength and wisdom are going to be supplied to the party, right? Um, it's a reasonably well-balanced party when it comes to it, right? Um, um, but um, the plan is not just to send only and exclusively the most incompetent and unlikely people on this trip, right? N- not exclusively. Only, only, only some of the party is going to fit that description. Um, but um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, again, I don't think he is, um, you know, taking some kind of vow to forbear strength or wisdom. Um, Exactly, Houthcastle. That's just what I was going to say. He's saying they can't trust in wisdom and strength, not that they shouldn't use them. Yes, exactly. Neither strength nor wisdom will carry us far upon it. Um, one way to paraphrase it that like makes it make a little bit more sense would be to say, no matter how we try to stack the deck in our favor is... You know, we've got a pretty bad hand here. I mean, that makes my metaphors. We've got a pretty bad hand, right? No matter how we try to play this hand, um, we're not going to guarantee success. So let's not think. Let's not rely on strength nor wisdom, right? Um, to some extent, he's only... I think that he's suggesting um, that... It goes beyond, I think, thinking we can't guarantee success even by, um, uh, even by packing this team, right, with all of the strength and wisdom at our disposal, right? Um, but I do think also what he's saying is that we, we can't, this isn't the way. Such is oft the course of deeds that move the wheels of the world. What Elrond is pointing to is the larger pattern. What's the drift of things here? Right? How is, um... How is the pattern of providence playing out here? Or, to put it in Gamgean terms, what kind of story are we in here? What kind of story is this? Happy ending or sad ending? Right? Um, What kind of story is this? Um, And the answer is, it's not a story of heroism. Not that kind of heroism. They don't need a hero like Gandalf was looking for in the Shire. In the chapter one of The Hobbit. Looking for and not finding. Right? Um, they don't need a hero, or at least not the kind of hero he was looking for. Instead, they need the kind of hero that Gandalf actually found. Right. Ironically. Um, yeah. 
that is that's the kind of hero that we need. That's the kind of story that we're in here. Such is off the course of deeds that move the wheels of the world. Um, this is Elrond saying, this might seem counterintuitive, right? That we shouldn't try to maximize our strength and wisdom here, right? It might seem counterintuitive, but this is the kind of story that we're in right now. It's, we do not need to find the greatest among us, the greatest and most powerful among us, to take the ring to Mordor. That would be the wrong call. And exactly as several of you, um, uh, exactly as several of you were asked, you know, were suggesting before, um, this, I think the thing which is most informing, most powerfully informing Elrond's conclusion there is his, the speech that he made about the ring. Right. Remember, one of the questions about the ring from the beginning was who's going to carry it? Right. Who who can be trusted to be the custodian of the ring even? Right. That's when Bombadil came up before. Um, And one of the reasons why we were talking about Bombadil earlier. And the answer is not the strong or the wise. As Elrond tried to make really clear, the strong and the wise are the ones who are most at risk, as again, several of you were saying earlier on. Um, um, yeah, yeah, um, exactly, Bjorning. We don't need Turin or Baron or Gilgalad or Elendil. Yeah, no, we don't. Um, um, we need... Um, something else. In fact, I think that Elrond um, <laughs> Flammifer, I think you're not thinking big enough. Flammifer says, um, have we ever seen um, small hands move, d- doing deeds that move the wheels of the world because they must while the eyes of the great are elsewhere? Hundreds of times. Like in the whole Silmarillion, we see that. It's just that the scale is different, right? Um, You know whose hands are small? Um, Turin's, Baron's, Eärendil's, Fingolfin's. Um, Those are all small hands, while the eyes of the great... Melkor, Manwe, Olmo, are elsewhere. All of the incarnate races have quite small hands in the Silmarillion, right? Um, everything's at a different scale. In the, now, from where we're standing in the Third Age, those seem like very big hands indeed, right? Um, but everything smaller in the third age, right? That's, we see everything scaling down, right? But that pattern is Eärendil going to uh, Valinor is an example of small hands doing the deed because he must. He has no, what else can he do, right? Um, Eärendil turning his boat around and going to Valinor is exactly an example 
of small hands doing a deed that moves the wheels of the world because he must, while the eyes of the great are elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, and that's probably the only reason it worked for Thalas. Exactly. It didn't work. Um, before, you know, Veronway doesn't get there, right? Um, you know, I, I, Turgon keeps sending ships, right? Keeps sending mariners into the West, and it, it doesn't work, right? Why? Because it wasn't that kind of story. Um, because this situation had not emerged yet. Um, small hands doing them because they must while the eyes of the greater elsewhere hadn't come about yet. Um, and then, of course, Captain Mo, we see... Uh, Talking of small hands, we can't forget Bilbo finding the ring. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the ring has been brought to this room. Or place. They're outside, I think. Um, um, by um, small hands. Not just Frodo's or Bilbo's. Even Gollum's hands are small hands that move the wheels of the world. Right? Gollum's hands did that also. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, exactly, yeah. Arend was just saying the same thing in the end. Gollum's mean little hands. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, he does horrible things with his small hands, but small hands they remain, nevertheless. And he has moved the wheels of the world and shall move them yet more before the end. Right? Um, don't forget, it is Gollum's small hands which are going to bring about, and teeth, uh, which are going to bring about um, the end. Right. Um, <laughs> sharp teeth off, off moved the wheels of the world. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Diggle. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Smith's small hands, which briefly uh, moved the wheels of the world. Absolutely. Um, yes, yes. Um, so again, I, but I think what we see Elrond doing here is reading events, right? Again, sort of saying, what kind of story are we in, right? Um, what is the drift of things? How is this story supposed to go, right? Um, what direction are we being pointed in? Have we been given marching orders, in a sense? Right? Um, have we been given suggestions? Has this situation been orchestrated in such a way as to point us in a clear direction? And his answer is absolutely yes. And the direction is that neither strength nor wisdom will carry us far upon this road, despite the fact that it's very hard, which would seem to indicate maximizing strength and wisdom. And yet, and yet, that's not the direction that all of this is pointing. And the ring is the key element, right? They have a deed that they have to attempt, as Frodo will say later on, right? There's a deed they have to attempt. It's clear to Elrond what has to happen. We have to bring the ring to the fire. But how? How can we bring the ring to the fire? Because as he goes on to say, none of the wise can be trusted with it. And he's very right to say that. Think about what happens to Frodo in Mordor, right? None of the wise. None of the wise, I think, 
<clears throat> could have resisted as Frodo did. None of the wise could have resisted as Frodo did. And we'll get glimpses of that. Um, but um, uh, we'll get gr- glimpses of that later on. Um, I think the one who really proves that is Sam. Of course. Because, <laughs> yeah, obviously. Um, but um, um, exactly, uh, Ray is quoting, Believe rather that it is so ordered that we who sit here and none others must now find counsel for the peril of the world. Yes, yes. And Ray, that's a really good illustration of the way in which Elrond is kind of reading things. Right. The way in which he's saying, like, okay, this is, this is the story that we're in. Right. It has come to this point. We have been gathered together in order to make this decision. And look, these are the parameters that we've been given to work with. And it's pretty clear. If we try to maximize strength or wisdom, that's foolishness. It would seem foolish not to, but that would be foolishness. That would lead to failure, almost certain failure, if we hand the ring to one of the wise, to one of the great. Um... This quest may be attempted by the weak with as much hope as the strong. May be attempted by the weak with as much hope as the strong. Um, Strength is not going to be the key to success on the and again it's it is actively counter indicated. Yes, because strength in the traditional sense is not the quality relevant to this trial. Bjorn Asanar, I agree. I agree. Um, yeah. Now, Matt, you made the point before that you believe there to be a very pregnant pause between the end of that statement. Small hands do them because they must, while the eyes of the great are elsewhere. And Bilbo's sudden exclamation, right? Um... I agree. I agree. Um, I do think that it is very likely um, that there's a a very pregnant pause there. What does this mean? What even are they suggesting? Right? Um, One last thing. I say last. Um, One last thing I want to suggest here. Um... I believe that when Aristor says, as I said before, I believe that when Aristor says, what strength have we for the finding of the fire in which it was made? Um, I think he's thinking military strength right there. Elrond, Gandalf and then Elrond, neither of them seem to address the military question exactly. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, good. Oh, very good. Yes. Um, likely a bot was saying, this is a council taken stronger than Morgul spells. Yeah, there it is. There it is, Boromir. I hope that was worth a journey of 110 days to hear, right? Because Elrond just, just, just did it, right? He just gave, um, he just gave the, 
just gave the counsel, just gave the wisdom, right? There it is. Small hands do them because they must while the eyes of the great are elsewhere. Um, but, um, but anyway, when did we shift? Elrond, I think, is where we shift. Gandalf doesn't really address, like, he's not talking about armies exactly. Um, he's just talking about the general objective, destroying the ring, right? I don't think that Gandalf, in his whole speech there, is really talking about making suggestions about the mechanism yet, right? About the methods. Um, but Elrond, I think, is. And I think when he says the road must be trod, I think it's clear that although Aristor was talking, I believe, about armies, Elrond is already thinking about a fellowship. Elrond is already thinking about, uh, you know, an adventuring party, not about a military exploit. Um, when he talks about the road and this quest, right? He's clearly there already. Um, this is not a war. This is a quest. This is a quest that may be attempted by the weak with as much hope as the strong. When I just talked about that sentence, I jumped right to the weak and strong part and I skipped this quest may be attempted by the weak with as much hope as the strong. Um, but I think that that's really important, uh, nevertheless. Um, uh, yeah, admirable, Admiral Malcontent. I, by the way, congratulations, Admiral Malcontent, and catching up uh, and joining us tonight. I did see that earlier on. Um, but you're right. He kind of skips over the final decision and goes straight to picking the party. Absolutely. Absolutely, he does. Um, you know, he already said it before. We must send the ring to the fire. Right. Um, there were still a bunch of questions and objections following that, but um, we're moving forward. Right? And again, notice in doing so, he is following directly the path that Aristor laid out there in that first paragraph, which is, again, why I think Aristor is like, um, you know, I would love to have Aristor as like my second in command, right? Uh, he is he's a, he's an awesome wingman. Aristor is, um, yeah, um, yes, yes, um, and no, uh, Eruahil, this is not a democracy. It's not a, now. It sounded like it might be like when Gandalf says, "What you know, shall we do with it?" It sounds like he's taken proposals, right? Um, you know, there's uh, uh, you know, that's a. Um, you know, an RFP or something that Gandalf is putting out, right? Um, but, um, uh, but, but, uh, no, that's not actually, not actually how this is going to play out. Um, Elrond is saying this is the only way. Um, this quest may be attempted. So notice how he's already, um, He's turned that with no fanfare at all, right? Um, this quest. Oh, and by the way, we are talking about a quest, not an invasion. Nobody clarifies that, right? They've been talking about invasion on many, at many points before this, right? Um, Elrond is immediately talking about quests. And by the way, um, uh, 
Verlin Flieger um, is very interested, has spoken many times about how interesting it is. Tolkien's choice of words here, quest. The word quest is, um, it might seem obvious um, to us, like it, obvious that Tolkien would choose that word. Like, of course it's a quest, right? Um, in part because that word has become so much more common than it used to be, in part because of Tolkien's usage of it, right? I mean, there's a reason that we all go on so many quests in, you know, Lotro and stuff, right? It's become a big video game word. It's become a big role-playing game word. It's, be, you know, it's, it is, uh, it's now an almost cliche word, right, within the whole sort of fantasy subculture that has grown up since um, the... Um, uh, the time of, uh, you know, the time of Tolkien. Um, but it is not a no-brainer that Tolkien's going to use that word. Um, and even thinking about it in the context, uh, or especially thinking about it in sort of the context in which um, it was used, right? What it would have meant to Tolkien, right? Not what it has come to mean since Tolkien. Right, but what it would have meant at that point, um, and um, uh, I thought it was used to refer to a tribe, not that kind of quest. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, what does the word mean? Quest. What does it mean? What is a what is a quest? What is it? What is a quest? Yeah, it shares a root with question. I believe that to be true. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, to 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 ask to 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 seek. Yes, a questing dog is on a trail, right? Pursuing game, right? Um, yes. Yeah, right. Yeah, Karita and several others can't stop, can't help thinking about the questing beast uh, from Maori, which is called that because it makes a sound like the baying of hounds when they're questing, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yes, questare in Latin means to ask. And Valor, that's exactly why Verlin finds this such an interesting word for him to choose, because it's a very, um, it's a very... Latinate word, and it's a very, Aruachil, as you say, an old French word as well. It's f from Latin through French, which is unusual. Not unknown by any means. Tolkien's aversion to French things gets way overstated uh, by a lot of people. Um, but, um, uh, but it's a very important word um in especially arthurian tradition um uh when you're on a quest you might be seeking answers like the judicial sense of the word quest um uh to um uh to be see seeking the truth right that's why you have an inquest right to find out what happened um so you're asking questions, right, in an in inquest. Um, you m may very well 
Beyond the Quest for the Holy Grail, which is like the quest uh, of the medieval tradition. Um, and in fact, like, that's what I would say, honestly. Um, if you just were to say, if you are someone who has read the books that Tolkien has read, um, you know, and you're in, you know, the 1940s, early 1940s, and you say this quest may be attempted, what's the first thing that you're thinking of? And I think the answer is the quest for the Holy Grail. I do. Um, and um, uh, that's a little bit unexpected. And you're right that several of you, several of you have pointed out that this seems like an unquest, right? Um, in a sense, it's a strange word to use because what they're doing is almost the opposite of a quest. When you go on a quest, you're seeking something. You're trying to find something, right? And um, uh, Frodo has already pointed out the irony of his journey compared to Bilbo's, right? Bilbo went on a treasure hunt there and back again, right? Um, and whereas Frodo is going to just go there and not come back again as far as he can see. You know, Bilbo went to find a treasure. He goes to lose one, right? So he's already talked about uh, that. Now, they're seeking the cracks of doom, yes, but again, not in a questing sense. Not in a questing sense. Again, they know where they are, right? If you can, you can go on a perfectly... It's perfectly questy, right? To... Um, like Arendel was on a quest when he was seeking Valinor. He knew what he was seeking, but he had no idea how he could possibly get there. He was vaguely in the West, right? Um, but that was a quest. That was a quest. When he turns his boat around, he's on a quest. Um, they have a destination. Um, they, have a, they have a goal. They have a task to perform. But they don't really have a quest, exactly. Um, and, um, and as I say, Frodo's already kind of put his fingers on the irony there. And I think that there is an irony here. I think that there's an intended irony here. Um, if they are on a quest, if they're seeking something, if they're asking something, if they're seeking an answer, if they're seeking, um, you know, a treasure... If they're going out to find something unknown, which again, these are the things that that's what you hunt for when you're hunting, you're looking for something, right? It's a quest. Um, if uh, if in, if there's any sense in which that's happening, the sense in which it's true is what? It's pretty abstract. They're searching for hope, for the solution, right? For um, the um, uh, yeah, I can't help but think along the same lines that several of you are thinking. One of the other things in the context of the Holy Grail quest, which is a like the big quest, right? The main thing. Um, I still think the primary thing. And I would be interested if anyone can come up with a counterexample, if anybody can come up with something that is more likely to be associated with the word quest in 1940 by somebody of Tolkien's reading. Um, 
than the quest for the Holy Grail, I'd be interested to know what it is, because I, I really do think that would be the primary association with the concept of the quest. Um, but the Holy Grail and the quest for the Grail, which was, you know, becomes this literally this consuming thing. It's the it's the it's the consummation of the Arthurian story. It's like the Arthurian court is consumed. It reaches its apex, right? Galahad comes to the court, and the Round Table is complete for the only time it's ever complete in its entire history. And then it's gone and it's shattered and it's never going to recover um, after the quest for the Grail, right? Um, but uh, it is um, there's something holy. There's something sacred. There's something almost it's the quest through the quest for the Holy Grail. It begins, the concept of quest seems almost to be associated with, um, uh, with, with faith, uh, in this sense. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so, anyway, I don't know. This is all me thinking more about, um, why Elrond calls it that, the significance of Elrond saying this quest. Him, he's, he's just dubbed this thing a quest, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, is quest used in Gowan and the Green Knight? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that, I just, I think that word's too French for Sir Gowan and the Green Knight. I don't think so. Um, Gowan seeks for um, you know the green chapel he's looking for it um, but I don't think he's on a quest I I don't think that word is used maybe I don't think it is but if it is I would bet that it's used in a hunting context like questing more literally but I don't think so Beowulf mad violinist? No. Nobody quests in Beowulf. No questing. I'm sure there's no questing in Beowulf. feel super confident about that. Because it almost that's almost impossible. Quest being a Latinate word. Um, yeah, exactly. Quest entered English in the 1300s. Um, yeah, so it, no, it could be. Gowan is after that. Uh, it's right around that time. Um, um, Cervantes? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Don Quixote goes on all sorts of quests, right? Um, because he's post that whole chivalric tradition. Um, um, but, yeah. No, I, I, I... Questing in this larger sense. Like, not in the literal sense of holding a trial in order to find the answer to a question, like an inquest. Or in the literal sense of hunting for game, like hounds questing, or the sound that's emerging from the stomach of the questing beast by some means. And I still don't understand. I've never understood the questing beast, and it's why it's so awesome. Um, but, um, uh, uh, but anyway, yeah. Um, would Cervantes have known the Arthur stories? Definitely. Yeah, he, he, he cites them. He cites them. I mean, yeah, would they be coming in? Does he... I, I, I don't know which versions of the stories he used, um, but uh, Don Quixote definitely 
um, alludes to Arthurian knights. Um, yeah, definitely. They're not his favorite knights. Um, you know, he's uh, much more fond of El Cid than he is of Lancelot, but he knows Lancelot for sure. Um, and, but that's a different story. Um, someday when uh, everyone has decided they're really gluttons for punishment, we're going to elect Don Quixote uh, in uh, Mythgard Academy and spend a good year and a half on that. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, so... Um, uh, I'm sure some modern translations of uh, Sir Gowan and the Green Knight might use the word. I'm just saying in the... I, I'm, I'm, I was thinking of the Middle English when we're asking about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, only if it's in Spanish? Oh, then it won't be me, D-Mats. That, that would be my problem, is I, I know... So, I know uh, I am a, uh, I am a, a man of small Spanish and less Italian, so I, I, I yeah, um, um. Okay, it shows up in an e-text search of the Tolkien edited edition exactly. Okay, twice. So it, Tolkien used it. Now that's interesting. That's it. Somebody post that. Somebody post the places where Tolkien uses it in his translation of, um, of Sir Gawain. I'd like to see that. I'd like to see that. That that's really interesting. In fact, we'll start with that next time. If somebody can show me that, give me the lines in Sir Gawain where Tolkien uses the word quest in his translation, and we'll start there next time because that's a really fun roundabout way to think about answering the question: What does the word quest mean to Tolkien? Right. Yeah, exactly, Kurtzman. We're going to start off with a quest about the word quest, and then we'll move on to Bilbo. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, cool. All right. Um, so we got a we got a brief glimpse of the next line, right? But you know, let's not rush things. Um, okay. Uh, thank you for joining us. It's field trip time, uh, so we're gonna do that now. But um, uh, thank you for uh, um, thank you for for joining us uh, here uh, this evening. Um, we're going we're gonna to do our field trip, so feel free to join us for that. We're going back to uh, the Wells of Langflood again. Um, uh, and uh, Valoria, you're uh, with us again here tonight, right? Yes, I am. Good evening, everyone. Very good. Good evening, everybody. Uh, so good to have you back. Oh, um, thanks. And... Glad you're feeling better and things. I know last 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 week it was acts of nature, right? It was uh, yeah, it was, that uh, was a force majeure. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So your uh, your house didn't get blown down or anything? Oh, thank the Lord, no. <laughs> excellent, was, uh, excellent. Yeah. Just really bored kids who did not charge their devices. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Okay, so I'm gonna I, I I'm gonna head over with uh, my milestone. So I'll meet you guys in Limlock, and then I'm gonna. Right. I was kicking myself last week, Valori, because there's actually a stable master right inside the door of the dwarf place in there, but Oops. I didn't even notice it until after we'd gotten like deep, deep, deep inside, and then I looked back at the map, and I'm like, oh my gosh, look, there was a stable master right there, and I didn't even see it. Um, so, um, I'm. Uh, 
I'm going to totally go to the stable master there so that I can we can use that as a waypoint if we need to. But maybe we won't even need to after today. We'll see. People up here. Boy, it's well, a grim so, day um, in Limlock today. Yeah. So to further our thing on quest, actually, I, I, uh, Equestare actually was the old French, mm-hmm. not the Latin. The Latin is querare, where we get the word querare, things right. like query. Right, right. Exactly. But, uh, oh, what, what was it? I got I to gotta look at it again. Quesitus uh, is actually past tense for for uh for the for the verb to ask so it means someone who has sought who has um asked and so it, it's it's interesting to put it in that sense that that, that our our modern word quest comes from a past participle of it that's interesting that's interesting well it implies that they're telling the tale later right 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 so, so, so you're saying uh, it's only a quest if you live to come back and tell the story afterwards. Men don't get girls. Yeah, yeah. Let's All right. Got to convert to raid. Still adding everybody. Okay, no problem. No problem. Boy, we are having dreadful weather in the wells of Lang Flood today. Yeah, seems to be spreading all over the place right now. Yeah. Let's see. Get our yes. Okay. You know, I like. Right. I'm interested in the fact that the only building in this whole village which looks like a Rohiric Mead Hall is, in fact, the barn. Right? Like, this is mm-hmm. a thatched barn. Well, it's a shingled barn, technically. I don't know if yeah. any brigands drink in the reek uh, in there, though it wouldn't surprise me in the least. No offense to the people of Langlock, uh, Limlock, but, um, but yeah, I, I uh, it's just it's interesting that there actually there is actually a parallel between their barn architecture and their like it's uh, sort of gives some uh, further credence to uh, um, Saruman's barb. Okay, all right, so let mm-hmm. us head off. I see I've decided to war steed it tonight. I don't know when I made that decision, but I think it was a dubious one. We'll see how we do. Can't see anything. Running into trees already. Oh, this is going perfectly well. I'm war steeding in precisely the way that I always end up war steeding, which is running into trees and getting stuck. So that's very good. Forget let's the ditch, mobs. Let's ditch that idea. Okay. Okay, sorry, sorry. I got left behind there. Okay. All right, the flood fells. Right, never so apt a name as today. Wouldn't it be cool if yeah. the level of the river rose when it was raining? I think that'd be cool. Yeah, that'd be cool. Possibly inconvenient, but... Uh, yeah, it'd, it'd be a thing where people's feet would stop touching the ground at a certain point. Right, yeah, that's true. It'd be be difficult not really worth you know um phasing the whole landscape for the sake yeah of the not exactly yeah uh, not exactly worth uh completely converting the z plane yeah probably not but uh still would be cool in theory everything is cool. okay um let's see 
course, I can't see any. I, I think this is going, however, to uh, yeah, yeah. See, wreak we got the big old on my there. original plan, which yeah. was my original plan was I because you remember when we went up to the cliffs on top of this hill on the other side of the river here, um, mm-hmm. and we were we saw the ruins across the river. And my immediate impulse was to resist looking at them because I wanted to save them for later. And so tonight I was I was all prepared to indulge myself and look out across the way at the ruins. But I think that that uh, that is that plan is is being undermined by uh, the. Well, I guess we learned if you have the view, use. Right. Well, I guess we we can still see something here. Okay. We had that trouble in Angmar too, if I recall. Yeah, we did. Wait, where am I going? Did I lose? Where? What, what direction am I headed? Where am I going? I lost everything. Okay, there I am. Sorry. Apologies. All right. Here we are. Not falling off the cliff. Okay. Great. Fist. All right. Well, we can see. We can't see very well what's on the other side inside there, but we can see this, which is what I was chiefly resisting looking at. Is mm-hmm. this? The same is the, the it looks dwarvish, the not worked looks dwarvish. Yep, um, got that art deco geometrical thing going. What we don't necessarily see, I'm looking for, but do we see the interlocking rings? Maybe we do, maybe right below on here. It's not super clear from this orientation, but like or from this distance, rather, but maybe. Um, I- think so. It's next to those little diamond motif, right? It's like diamond and then interlocking rings. Right. So we've got the interlocking, like large gray diamonds or along the big bands, uh-huh. right? That we see top and bottom of this middle windowless story here. Um, unless those are window slits, I, which I, I think, think those are. I think are. those are windows. We've seen windows like that in dwarf architecture. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of. Just to kind of let in shafts of light from, a, from, from the outside rather than, yeah. you know, to stand next to but, and look out, right? What would we want to look at outside for? <laughs> exactly, right? Um, right, so, okay. So above that, I think there are. I think we can... Actually, yeah, we can see them here in between these diamonds in that dark one. Okay, yeah, they're there. They're there, okay. So, yes, so this is dwarf architecture, and it's dwarf architecture that matches the bridge. Yes. Rather than the inland dwarf architecture. Mm-hmm. And now, and we think this went up further, like because see, I, those I, columns I, sticking I, up are kind of weird. They are. Oh, you mean like what used to happen up top there? Yeah. Was there like another tier to this birthday cake here? You know, you'd think there would almost have to be, wouldn't you? Who would put? Yeah. Who would put? You know, capitals like that on top of pillars that went to nowhere. Dork capital. Yeah. Um, oh, there's some. Well, it looks like there's a some sort of wrecked platform to the left of it. And oh, li- little yeah, I can see some, some. And then we've got some something sticking out down here. Yeah. The hill looks more like more pillars in a wall. Like the thing at the bottom there looks like a broken off buttress that used to connect. You can see where the there was a yeah. flying buttress that's sticking out the side of of the wall up there. Yeah. Um, have we have we seen this before? Buttresses and dwarf architecture. Hmm. I think so. 
I think so. I mean, again, this is reminding me of the bridge. I think this is consistent with the bridge, but it's very much not consistent. So let's go in and look at the, uh, the, let me continue going straight and not off the cliff. Um, uh, Sorry, I'm having directional difficulties here tonight. Um, uh, Right, so it's very much not consistent with the dwarf architecture from inland here. What's this place called? I always forget the name of this place. Begins with an S, I think, or unless it doesn't. Uh, um, I'd have to stop writing to look it up. I'll look it up in just a second. Yeah, I'd have to look on my map. What's it called? It's like Sidkar Selwyn or something. Something or the other. Anyway. We'll see it in a moment. Um, yes, yes. But, um, but it's very different from in here. And so my, my primary question is which came first? Like, which is older? Mm. And my second question is, am I in fact going in the right direction because I think I got off track there? And there's more ruins over there. Well, we're headed in that direction. We'll head over there and see what we see. Oh, we're going right up to the mountain, aren't we? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. There should be. Isn't there a bridge somewhere around here? I think there wasn't. I think we came oh, to yeah. that no, conclusion last Sundergrot. time. That's, of course, what it is. Sundergrot. Oh, that's right. Okay, it's up, it's up behind these rocks. That's where it is. Thank you. Okay. Right. Pretty sure. It's up here. We got to go over the rocks. Uh-oh. And there it is. Yes, indeed. Someone help yeah. me out with this. I can't get up. Uh-oh. <laughs> How have I not been dismounted already? Yeah, I can't believe my horse survived that whole trip. Well, this would be a weird novelty if I die, but my horse doesn't. Really? I didn't know that was possible. I didn't know that was possible either, but I'm down like (laughs) 9,000. Well, I got down 9,000 from one shot. Oh, look, some folks came up on ahead. Oh, yeah. That was very kind. Yeah, that was was nice. Um, okay, so Sundergrot, and people are telling me you can't actually, there isn't actually a stable master there? Like, it's just a tease on the map? There's oh, no... that's not fair. Or is, is it like a dwarven one? Weird. Okay. Is it like a Moria stable? Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. Okay, let's, um, let's just, let's go down then. I shan't bother myself looking for the stable master. Let's go ruin hunting along this side because, so I'm trying to understand the line, right? I, that is to say, the line between the dwarves who build in blue stone and the dwarves who are building in the gray stone, and I want to know which is the elder, and therefore to try to piece together what is the story here. How did we get the two dwarves? Because I'm still thinking that the bridge was like a third age thing. The bridge down there, the first bridge that we crossed over, I'm still thinking that that was a third age thing. Okay, we've got to what another, purpose? Um, to go. So my theory was that it was to be a way for dwarves to cross a dwarf trade route, basically. Um, Mm. A dwarf trade route into 
Rovania, like into the forest, both to be able to trade with the elves and to be able to trade with the men of Rovanian as well. Mm-hmm. Um, this architecture strikes me as more long bearding, long yeah, it does. than the blue architecture. That's the um, gray stone. Yeah. And the the way that they use the geometric shapes with the diamonds and and the similarities between some of this stuff and some that the designs that I know we see in Moria. Whereas there's mm-hmm. nothing in Moria that's quite like that I recall anyway, that's quite like the blue stone with the gilded trim um mm-hmm. that we see uh there at Sundergrot. We've lost the sunburst motif and we've moved to something that looks more like a snowflake. Right inside the diamonds, yes. Inside the inside yes. the gold, yes. In, on the on the yes. bridge, that was a sunburst motif. But we did see some of these. I'm pretty sure we saw some of these also near the bridge, the snowflake ones. I don't remember a snowflake at all. No, just sunburst. I think we saw them, but um, uh, yeah, no, Hologrow. I wasn't talking about the main map. I was talking about the one the the stable master that's in the Sundergrot map. Like, I noticed it when we were walking around Sundergrot last time. Well, I can't walk this way? This is... A, oh, okay. Can I walk down from this direction? Oh, another yeah, dwarf okay. marker. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Oh, right up there. And this is... Right. You can't get there from here, so that's tantalizing. <laughs> but, dwarf mark. Um... Notice the dwarf marker bears one of those sunbursts. Uh, yeah, see? That was the that was the motif I was looking for on this guy. Yeah. Do you come around from the other side? How do you get up? Oh, man. Mm-hmm. You go down this way? Oh, yep, yep. Up and around. Okay, I'm right up and around. What is this? I hate this? jumping onto black land. I never know if it's something that hasn't loaded properly. What is this spiky thing? got to be a goblin thing, right? The rivets, mm. the metal spikes. Yeah, I've seen spiky things like this. That's not a dwarf machines. thing. Yeah. Yeah. This is something we've seen on the trebuchets. What on earth did that... How did somebody... Who dropped that halfway down the cliff? That's just weird. I don't know. Where would it drop from... Huh. Um, Old work used in surveying lands for potential mining opportunities. Same as last one. Yeah, yeah. I don't. It looks like all of this is the remains of a war engine. Like it fell apart here, and then the spire fell down. Yeah, I think this these beams that I'm this, walking on here. Yeah, this A frame up here. Yeah, some kind of, some kind of orc or goblin construction gone horribly awry from which the big spiky thing tumbled long after the dwarf ruins had tumbled. I'm getting flashbacks to the high elf tutorial. Yeah. You may have to walk all over stuff like this. I can't help but admit that at least from right here, like counting this ruin, this ruin looks a great deal more ruinous than Sundergrot. 
Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, perhaps it's older. Well, let's let's keep going. Yeah, we got the big wheel over there too. So I have no idea what the goblin's plan is there. Um, it went to ride, no matter what. Thing. Yeah, I mean, what what are they besieging? Even like or? apart from the you know questionable wisdom of constructing an enormous um, constructing an enormous um, uh, siege engine up here on top of the cliff what were they planning to attack with it up here maybe they're trying their own cloak of folly yeah, except it's well, extra stupid extra right extra strong cloak that means the more stupid your plan the less likely they Stupid are to like see a it coming. Fuck. That's right. Okay, so come on, we're still headed down towards the. Yep, we're headed down in the right direction. Just want to make sure yeah. I hadn't gone wandering off. I didn't think I had. Beg the question: When is a stupid plan a cunning plan, and when is a stupid plan a stupid plan? Right. Yeah. Oh, here we are at some palisades. Okay. So we have come to Stromvarth. Okay. Now, excellent wall, orcs. That's good. I just had to kind of go around a little bit. Mm-hmm. All right. We've got lots of little orc tents here. And, and some dwarven ruins with the sunburst motif. Yeah. Yeah. But they're pretty ruinous. Mm-hmm. Maybe it just depends on how badly they got beat up based on where they're positioned. Like, maybe one's more exposed to the elements. Yeah, it's possibly. Um, <laughs> yes, JJ says, Goblins make no beautiful things, but they make many mediocre half-finished ones. Yes, yes, exactly. Oh, now this is interesting. Not the fact that I'm on fire, but down here. Here's those pillars. Okay. So we have a flight of stairs leading up to... Okay. Look at the flooring here. Um, oh, there's a lot of rubbish. Stop setting me on fire. You're just being annoying. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty sure that these are, yeah, dwarf pillars, obviously. We've got the rings, the interlocked rings all the way up. Um, so sure, sure. Um, what's this button in the middle? Maybe it was mounted on something like a soul. Huh, and look at the. It is placed perfectly in the center. Yeah. Oh, it's a well covering. Oh, you it's think? It's a well covering. You'd put your hooks in those holes to help haul Maybe. it up. You need help, of course. Maybe. But it, the outside looks a lot like the wells we see in Moria.
so this would be this is on top of we saw from down on the other side when we could see from oh look what a lovely view of the bridge um when we could see from the side over there we saw the whole sort of um hall right that's below us with the buttress that's broken off and yep. those uh sunlight slits um in the uh, in the in the walls of it there, mm -hmm. which suggests that there's something down there. But that's that's what the well here leads to. If it's a well, or a manhole maybe cover? manhole cover, maybe this was like a a spiral staircase that came up here. Because they certainly the dwarves wouldn't yeah, have been approaching like this from the land side, right? Yeah. And the fact that there's nothing in between these columns, no sign of a wall or anything, indicates this is an open air area. So, yeah, maybe this was like this led you down to the fortified part of the dwarf structure, and this part was the open part where you'd have your range or something, or or your lookouts. Right, maybe, maybe. Um, that is an interesting point. Stun Duck is pointing out that the 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 cross in the middle of the, you know, that, that, that goes across this whole area is exactly north, south, east, west aligned, um, mm. which I was, I was just seeing that. Oh, yeah. maybe there was it a sundial or something here. Yeah. That's actually a really interesting idea too, that it could have been some kind of timekeeping or time measuring device. Yeah, an, as yeah. an, an astrological these... outlook for calculating Durin's day, says Nancy. These Allen. pillars yeah. would help with that too. Right. Maybe. Are the pillars placed? Yes, the pillars are placed exactly symmetrically. Um, Four, though there are five, no six. pillars to what direction? The northwest. They could have fallen down, though. And I think the stairs are here instead. Oh. So. I mean, oh, there is the some rubble around here, but. Yeah. Yeah, there's some columns that, that fell down over here, you can see. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it does look or like maybe something just, used to be there. Well, if it's if it's a sundial aligned northwest, you'd only need it on one side to, to get your bearings. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Where have we seen this floor pattern? You can see it most clearly right here by the stairs. This sort of bronze... Oh, wow. I know we've seen that before. And there's yeah. the sunburst you see behind it in the big the bigger pattern is the sunburst. What, what was um, that, Trent? In Moria. In Moria? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I thought it might be something like that. Was it near like Mazarbul or something like that? Possibly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't remember where exactly. But we'll have plenty of time to study Moria later. Um and yeah. we'll need it. I was saying last yes, week, we uh, Valoria, that I think that Moria may be the only place in the game where it will take us longer to explore the terrain in the game than it will to discuss the passages in the text. <laughs> we'll have to see. It'll well, be an I'm interesting looking... race between our... Yeah, I am our... looking forward to seeing Holland in depth. Yes, yes, that'll be fun. Um, yeah, okay. Um, but, anyway. So... I am beginning to think that the pillars did not, that there was no roof over this place. Which then raises the question of why there are the capitals on top of the pillars. And I don't know. 
unless you're dwarves and that's just what you do. Are those eagles that I'm seeing in the sky over there? I hope they are. The eagles flying over. I mean, that's they. I think they they seem to be right. Um, they are circling. There are definitely yeah. eagles. In oh, okay. Yeah, good yeah. to know. Okay, circling around. What am I? What am I? What am I facing? Oh, I'm facing down towards the Carrick. Is where I'm facing. Vaguely. Okay. A little uphill. So it's it's that's above the eagles' iries. Basically, is where they're circling. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. So, final conclusions. What do we think? Which came first, Sundergrot or this? I think this. Mm. I think this may be older. And as... And what is this? Why is this? Why have the dwarves built the bridge and on this promontory here. And I think the answer has to be like what you can see from up here. Oh, there's a sentinel who's re-emerged up here. But when you come up here to where the sentinel has built this convenient place, what can you see? The bridge, right? This promontory commands that whole area. Um, So this is a very sensible place from which you would want to... um, Oh, you know, to 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 have a lookout over your road and your bridge, um, protect your investments. Uh, to protect, I mean, yeah, you could command this whole area, you know, with um, with artillery as well. Um, so, sure, I mean, you would, this would be a very important defensive spot um, because it's even higher than the immediate other bank across the way. Um, so you're commanding the whole area from this promontory. So I think you're, it's the people who are interested in that bridge who are interested in this promontory. So therefore, I, I got to think, the bridge, this construction, the halfway constructing, the one halfway up the road, up the river there, whatever that was meant to be, um, must have come first and Sondergrot must have come later. Um, so maybe when Moria was on the wane... Whoever, if that's if that's another clan of dwarves who built the, who built Sundergrot, which I suspect might be the case, um, maybe yeah, that they kind of came as the power of Moria was waning. I know we're far from Moria; we're 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 pretty high up the mountains, but, um, uh, but Moria and Moria's influence was very large, um, and we're not so far away from where the dwarves of Moria would have been coming out um, in order to um, mm-hmm. trade and whatnot. So, and this directly parallels a lot of the stuff uh, we've seen in uh, Rudar and, and the elven structures we've seen overlooking rivers. Yes. Yes, I don't know the story, unless, it's, again, it's just filling a void that's being left by Moria as Moria declines slowly and then rapidly Um, because I think it did decline I think that Moria Mm -hmm. must have declined after Eregion declined I mean that would have that Moria would have taken a bit of a hit from the fall of Eregion I believe Um, true but what you know we saw in common with the Elven and the Radarn structures it was a river that was a common thoroughfare for travel and trade Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so this might have just been a trade a, a 
place to overlook a boat trade. Right. Right. Yes. Right. To, to protect boats on the river, possibly. Mm-hmm. Possibly. Um, because, of course, that's another potential trade route that I was leaving out. Not only can you trade to the Wood Elves and to the Kingdom of Rovanian earlier in the Third Age, you can also trade down the river. Um, mm-hmm. Boromir might not have heard of anybody coming down the river to trade in his lifetime. Um, but in earlier lifetimes, they certainly would have done. Yeah, before it was crawling with orcs. Exactly. Exactly. That's why the Portage Way was built, after all. Um, mm. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, uh, so that's interesting. So let's see. So where do we go next time? Next time, we explore. I think next time we start at Limlock again, and this time we loop around and we go up and look at the next bridge. Good. That's what I'm thinking. We head up towards. Maybe we get as far as uh, this next uh, stablemaster up here. And see if we can move our uh, move our our base of operations up closer to our base camp up closer to Fromsburg there, which I'm still <laughs> itching to get to. But um, anyway, okay, cool, awesome. Thanks everybody for joining us. Uh, fun field trip, fun discussion here today. Uh, I have really enjoyed this session. Glad that you could join me, and we'll see you guys next week. Thank you, Valorie. Good night now.